I have played golf a couple of times, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm awful. I play golf like a baseball player, which means that when I swing the club, I hit the ball gee, that way every time. Um, I, got, I got nothing when it comes. And then, and then there's like 47 different clubs that you can choose, right? There's like, there's, there's irons and wedges and drivers and hybrids, and like, I'm like, I don't even, what's, what's a hybrid? Well, it's this and this. Well, why? Do you need that? Do you already have all these other my father-in-law is, is a pretty good golfer. He uh, gave me a bag of his old clubs. And um, I've gone and played with him a couple times. And I've got to tell you, when I go and play, it's kind of like, all right, I'm about 100 yards from the hole. Uh, and I got this bag of clubs here. Uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. This iron with the three on it looks pretty good. All right. I'll go and hit this sucker, and it goes like 150 yards over the hole and sideways, right? That's kind of how I play. Uh, in order to get good at golf, you got to practice, right? You got to go and go to the driving range and hit the clubs, and you got to learn which clubs to use in each individual situation, right? It's important in order to be able to, to play the game the right way. Now, we've been studying Ephesians 6, and we've been learning about spiritual warfare and how it works in the life of the follower of Christ. And today, we get to look at the last individual piece of the armor. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to rehash um, in depth the pattern of spiritual warfare that the enemy follows. I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the previous sermons, especially the uh, sermon on the shoes of readiness because kind of go in depth into the, the pattern that Satan always follows, all right? But in short, the enemy is a deceiver. And you guys have seen this slide now a couple times. But the enemy is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. All he knows how to do is lie. And his lies are calculated to fall into one of, basically, one of five schemes pretty much every time, right? He will lie to you to get you to have doubts and to disbelieve. He will lie to discourage you. He will lie to get you to fall into disunity. He will lie to get you to fall into despairing hopelessness. And he will lie to get you to act defiantly towards him. These are the five basic schemes that the enemy follows every single time. This is what he does. He's not creative. He doesn't come up with new stuff. This is it. And he does these things to do one of three things, to steal your peace, to kill your joy, or destroy your testimony. That's the end game in the life of the believer every time to do one of those three things. And he uses these five schemes, all right? So, so we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of how the enemy works. And praise God that he has given us everything that we need in order to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Amen? Amen. And we walk, as we walk more and more in the identity of children of God that we are, the more firmly we are able to stand as those lies are lodged at us. And today, we get to study the final piece of the armor, which is the singular piece of armor which is not only defensive, but is also offensive. 
And today we get to study the sword of the Spirit. So as you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 17, Ephesians 6, 17, and as you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father, we come before you and, Father, we praise you and thank you that you have overcome the enemy through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the conqueror. And we look forward one day to your return when you will reign forever and ever. But until then, Lord, I pray that you would continue to teach us how to stand firm against the enemy. And that today we would learn how to wield the sword of the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, that I would be fully yielded to you in every way. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would likewise be yielded to your Spirit as you speak to us and You encourage us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to look at this final piece of armor in just one big old section. I didn't really know how to break it down. I don't have any real fancy outline for you. It's just like, hey, this is how we wield the sword. So we're just going to go through this this passage, going to do a little exegesis through this pat, which is a fun, I like that word, throw that out, it's like one of those pinky words, right, exegesis, right, it means we, we, let, we let the word, the meaning of the word emerge to us, we don't read into it, we let it come out, so we're going to bring out from the text what it means as we learn how to wield the sword. So, as with the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the first thing we need to see is that the sword of the Spirit is something that we are commanded to take up. Take, in the Greek, literally means to lift up or pick up with your hand. Lift it up. And the grammar of this word means that it's something that has to be intentionally done. It doesn't happen on its own. We have to volitionally do it. We have to lift it up. Unlike the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness or the shoes of readiness, which the passage here says that we have on or have strapped on, this is something that does not work passively. It's not on and therefore already doing its job. This is something that we need to take up We need to draw the sword in order to be effective. Now see, the Roman soldiers, they would keep their swords sheathed and strapped to their belts pretty much at all times. Now, they would sharpen the sword and they would make sure that it was was in good condition and it it was ready for combat, but they wouldn't walk around with their sword waving around all the time. They would leave it sheathed until the enemy would come and then they would prepare for battle. In the same way, the sword can be maintained and strengthened and we make sure that it's in good condition, but it won't passively do the job when the attack comes. We can't just leave it in the belt, right? When the attack comes, we've got to actively take it up, which means that we recognize the attack when it comes, we, we see the deception, or we have someone point out the deception to us. Remember, we we fight together as a team, right? We're, we're, We're a family, we fight the battle together. And then when we see it, when we recognize it, we actively respond to the attack with the sword of the Spirit. So what does the response look like? Well, in the Roman legions, there were two types of swords, two types of swords. 
There was the long sword, which was called the spatha, which is between two and three feet long. And this was used primarily by the heavy cavalry and the um, heavy infantry and the cavalry. And this was a purely offensive sword. It was only used when you were charging the battlefield. The other sword that the Romans used was called the gladius. And the gladius is this guy right here. This is actually not a Roman gladius. Uh, I, I guess you probably would have guessed that. Um, this is from the Civil War. This is a cannoneer sword. And the cannoneers had their swords designed after the Roman gladius. And this is exactly 18 inches long. And this is what they looked like. They were very well balanced. They came to a very sharp point, and they were double-edged. And so the majority of all of the Roman forces used the gladius sword, because it could be used both defensively to parry and knock away an attack, and it could be used offensively to counterattack when that came. Now the Greek word used here in this passage for sword refers to the Roman gladius sword. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Roman sword sword, short sword. So when we take up the sword of the spirit, it's important that we recognize right from the outset that this is a sword that is both used to defend and to attack. And it's the only piece of the armor which is offensive in nature as well as defensive in nature. And this is important because in James chapter 4, verse 7, we are commanded to resist the devil. Resist the devil, and then we're told what will happen when we resist the devil, that he will flee from us. Amen? When we take up the sword of the Spirit, we're taking up a piece of armor that can be used very versatilely. And the enemy hates when we wield the sword because he does not like being pierced with truth. And when that happens, he will flee, he will run. Now because the gladius is a short sword, we need to recognize that it was made to be used in hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? This isn't gonna be attacking anyone from a distance. This is made for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And as I said, because of the way that this was made, because of the strength in this, because of the double-edged nature and the point, it wasn't made for slashing. It was made for piercing very quickly. You had your big old shield out there, and then as the enemy came, you would counterattack and pierce. And people skilled with the gladius sword, it didn't have to be overly powerful, they just needed to let the sword do its job because they would, they would sharpen this to a very, very fine edge that was sharp enough to actually pierce right through the armor of their enemies without much effort. See, the strength and sharpness and design of the sword itself really did all of the work in the combat. Now, how many of you know that spiritual warfare doesn't always consist of the enemy shooting arrows from a distance that we can simply lift up that shield of faith to defend against. How many of you know that? It's not always like, oh, here comes the arrow, get under the shield. It doesn't always work that way, does it? 
right? Sometimes the enemy gets right in our face, and he tries to beat us down. Anyone here experienced that before, right? Where he is just right there mocking you. He is right there doing everything he can to deflate you entirely. You don't have any chance to get that shield up. You are in hand-to-hand combat. He gets right inside our thoughts and our minds, or he uses people and circumstances that are very close to us to come against us in some way, right? We, we, you, you all experience this? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's in those moments that, that we do need to lift the shield up, but the shield is not going to make him flee. The shield alone will not make him flee. It will protect us from his attacks, but what makes him flee is when we resist him, which means we counterattack with the sword. And it's precisely in those moments when we need to use the double-edged sword of the Spirit, letting the authority of the Word of God do its work because of the intrinsic power resident in the Word itself. Do we see, do we see how that works, right? Do we see what Paul's driving at? These swords were so well made, as long as you wielded them, they would defeat the enemy. And that is the same thing that Paul is saying with the the word of God, the sword of the spirit. It is so powerful, so authoritative, that when we are in that hand-to-hand combat, as we wield it, the enemy will have to flee. He cannot withstand that counterattack. So what is the sword of the spirit? I've, I've said it, the passage tells us. How do we wield it? Paul, Paul clarifies that for us right here when he tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, there's confusion here sometimes because our sword is not the Spirit himself. This is important. The sword is not the Spirit of himself. Well, we'll, dis- we'll discuss the role of the Spirit in a minute. Our sword is the word of God that the Spirit uses and equips us with, that he works in us and through us as he speaks truth to us, all right? There's an important distinction there. Now, in the Greek, there are actually three words for the word, word. And we're going to talk about those because it's important that we understand this. The first Greek word for word isn't even used in the Bible. You will find it nowhere in Scripture. It's, it's I don't quite know how to pronounce it, graphy or something like that. And it, it refers to words in written form or the actual collection of words into a book. So, so this Greek word could be used to refer to a Bible. How many of you all have your Bible here today? Hold it up. I want, to see that. I want to see that sword. Come on. Okay, right? That, in the Greek, would be your graphy. It's just the collection of words that are written there, all right? That is it. Now, like I said, this, this word is not used in the Bible anywhere, which is important. Because all of you guys that just held up your Bible, if all that does is sit on our shelves or exist on our phone as an app that we never open, 
that's, that's actually not a sword. It doesn't, that doesn't do us any good. And we all know this, but I'm just saying it because it needs to be said. Now, the second Greek word for word is logos. And this one is used all over the place in the Bible. And logos refers to the whole meaning and substance of words that are used. The message of the entirety of the words makes up the logos. All right, are we seeing, getting this? I know this is a little bit vague and maybe a little bit, you know, academic, but this is important, these distinctions. So we go from referring to the book itself to referring to the meaning and substance of all of the, the message of the words. And Logos is used perhaps most famously in John chapter 1. And those of you who know John chapter 1 know that it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Every single instance of Word in John 1, 1 and 1, 14 is the word Logos. And that refers directly to Jesus. Why does Logos refer to Jesus? Because Jesus is the substance and message of all of Scripture. He is the Logos. He is what all of Scripture points to. All of Scripture points to Jesus. I'll teach you another fun word. It's, it's Christotelic. Christotelic. That telos in Greek is end. So Christ is the end of all Scripture. All of Scripture points to Christ, Christotelically. Write that one out and bust it out, and when you do, make sure you raise your pinky, all right? Christotelically, I'm reading Scripture Christotelically, right? That means that not all Scripture is about Jesus, but all of Scripture points to Jesus. There's a distinction about, between those two things, all right? We read Scripture Christotelically, and there is great power in the name of Jesus Christ all by itself. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? How many of you know that in the midst of the attack from the enemy, when you don't know what else to do, if we call out to Jesus and fix our hearts and our mind on our Lord and Savior, he will meet us in the battle in that moment. Amen? That there is great power in the name of Jesus. But, but guess what? Logos is not the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6.17. While the full message of Scripture is, is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare, which Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, that word is logos there, right? And it, it pierces us. The word here is not logos. The word here is the third Greek word, which is rhema, rhema. The unique weapon that the soldier of Christ is commanded to take up is the rhema of God. And this is very, very critical in understanding spiritual warfare, guys. I hope you're getting this. Rhema refers to specific sayings or declarations. In the context of scripture, rhema refers to the specific truth within the logos. All right, so, so if, I can, if I can use a metaphor here, right? If, if we think of like a building 
then the Greek word graphi would refer to the building as, hey, that's a building, that's, a gra- that's the building. Logos would tell us that the building is actually an armory full of weapons. It would tell us the substance of the building. But the actual weapons inside of that armory, those are the rhema, the specific implements of warfare. Another metaphor, one could think of the logos like a golf bag, right? And the rhema are all the specific clubs inside the bag that we take out the specific club to make that specific shot. Anyone ever go to a, hit a drive and use a putter? I, I did one time. <laughs> right? No, we don't, we don't do that because it's not what you use to drive the ball. As, as soldiers of Christ, we are called to wield the specific truths of Scripture in our warfare. We're not called to just speak in vague terms and generalities about the message of Christ. We're not supposed to just go around and say, hey, well, you know, devil, um, Jesus died for my sins or something, and I think he's, he's coming back. That's the message of Scripture. If we go around trying to fight the devil with a general message like that, he's going to laugh at us. And he's going to say, <laughs> okay, yeah, let me, let, me just, let me just talk to you a little bit about this. Romans 10, 17, this is fascinating. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the rhema of Christ. Recognize that neither the graphi nor logos actually builds faith. I want you to digest that for a second. Hearing the general message of scripture does not build faith. Now. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Logos will get our attention. The Logos will pierce you to the heart. The Logos will wake you up. It will, it will get your attention to the degree where you're like, oh, hey, what, uh, uh, tell me that again. I want to come again. What is that? Right? That's the Logos. It'll get our attention. But here in Romans 10, Paul tells us that it's the specific application of God's truth, his rhema to our heart and mind in a specific circumstance that faith is actually built and we actually mature and grow in the Lord. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the rhema of Christ. Walking and experiencing the rhema of Christ applied in our lives. The specific truth of who Christ is and the specific truth of what he has done. And this is why I think a lot of us can kind of stagnate in our faith. It's because we're not taking up the rhema of God. We're, we're content staring at our Bible on the desk, the graphy, or, or listening to teachings on the message of scripture, the logos, 
but then we don't actually encounter God or experience his specific truth at work in our lives. And then, and then we, just, we just feel barren, we just feel dry, we just feel like we're missing something. Anyone ever feel that way? Anyone ever feel like, I'm just, I'm just missing something here. What is it? What am I missing? Well, I would bet that at least a part of it is that you're missing the rhema of God, his specific truth working in practical, everyday ways, speaking into the situations that you go through. We've got to remember that the Bible is a tool that's meant to let us know God more deeply, to know who he is, to know what he has done, to know what he says, what his promises are. The Bible is only good insofar as we can receive the specific truth within it. If we never open it up or we, we sit through sermons or Bible studies and say amen and then never engage with the specific truth within it as it applies to our lives on a daily basis, our faith will not grow. Wielding the sword of the Spirit means engaging with the specific truth of God in specific situations and seeing God's power put on display so that our faith can be strengthened as we overcome the deceptions and schemes of the evil one. I mean, how many of you, how many of you have experienced that? Where, where the enemy was coming against you and then there was a specific truth, something, something very, very detailed and, and that dovetailed specifically with the thing you were going through or the lie that was being spoken. Have you, have you experienced that, right? And what happened after you experienced that? You probably said, praise God, he just, he just answered that. Did you, did, you see, did you see what he just did right there? Right? And that's encouraging, that's exciting. That is what builds our faith. That's how it works. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the rhema of Christ, where we, we hear it, we, we see it applied, we, we experience it as we live it out, and boom, faith grows and matures. Now, if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just blowing smoke here, let's turn in our Bibles over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're not going to read this, but I would encourage you to bookmark this and go and read verses 1 through 11 at some point, maybe tomorrow or tonight when you get home. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. But in short, this is the story of when the devil came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and then the devil comes against him and begins to tempt him. And we see here very specifically that Christ wielded, like he just spoke in general truths, just kind of like, just kind of made some stuff up about himself. Like, hey, devil, get away from me. I'm the son of God. Uh-uh. Jesus wielded the rhema. 
He met the three temptations of the devil with three specific swords of truth that dismantled the temptation of the enemy with precision. Christ had victory because he wielded the specific truth of, of Scripture. And, and you, know what he, you know what he quoted? He quoted three verses from Deuteronomy. I mean, De- Deuteronomy. How many of us go around quoting Deuteronomy, right? I mean, apart from maybe the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So we, we, a lot of us know that one. But, but what other verses in Deuteronomy do you know? Right? Jesus just, just whipped out three verses now. Okay, he's God. He, he kind of wrote it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But here's what I want us to see. Jesus wielded the rhema. And guess what else? Study that passage. Recognize that Jesus wasn't the only one who quoted scripture. The devil quoted scripture back to Jesus. You think the devil is foolish enough to go around talking about the general message of things? Think about this. The devil uses rhema too. And if the devil is going to use specific truths, though twisted into his version of them, to come at us, don't you think we better have one of these to be able to parry that away so that we know what the heck is going on? Right? Because if, if I don't have this, if I just have, you know, nothing, and I'm just going at the devil with the generalities of, of, of truth, and he's coming at me with like precision blows, I'm done. Right? How many of you have seen Infinity War? Huh? Yeah? Some of you? All right. I'm going to totally ruin it for you right now, okay? No. In the opening scene of the movie, you see the big bad guy, Thanos, come out, and he's got like his power stone, right? And he's, oh, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm going to beat everybody up. And then the Hulk comes out, and the Hulk's like, ha ha! We're like, yay, Hulk, go and smash him! And the Hulk comes around, and he's like, trying to beat him up, all big and strong, taking big blows. And then what does Thanos do after he like dusts off Hulk's little slap? He goes in like a ninja and he's like precision, knocks the Hulk out. That's exactly what the devil will do to us if we try to Hulk it with him, right? I'm gonna smash you, devil. No, you're not. I'm just gonna down goes whoever you are. Down goes Matthew. He's done. Knocked out. Right? That's the way it works. If we go into a fight with the devil and meet him with the general message of Scripture, you can be sure that he's going to turn right around and speak his twisted version of rhema to deceive us and try to mess up our understanding of truth just like he tried to do with Jesus. That's how he works. Our hand-to-hand Spiritual warfare must be with the specific truth of God, the rhema. And, and I, I love this. This is like my, my favorite part of this passage. The first verse that Jesus quoted to the devil when the devil tempted him to turn the stone to bread was from Deuteronomy 8.3. And in, in Matthew 4.4, 4, when Deuteronomy 8.3 is translated into the Greek, remember it was, it was written in the Hebrew, Jesus probably spoke Aramaic, and then it was translated into the Greek, but the way it's translated into the Greek, it says, Matthew 4.4, 4, but he, Jesus, answered, it is written... 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does anyone want to take a guess? It's just like a wild, crazy, like out there, totally wild guess as to what Greek word is used to translate the word word from Deuteronomy 8.3. What, what type of word does Jesus say that we are to live by? What type of word does Jesus say that we are to be sustained by? What type of word are we to wield in our warfare against the lies of the enemy? No, it's Logos, I'm just playing you. <laughs> no, it's Rhema, right? It's Rhema. Of course it's Rhema. We are to live by every rhema, every specific saying, every truth that comes from the mouth of our God. I just think that's so cool. Like, like Jesus is in the middle of spiritual warfare using rhema, and he's telling the devil that as long as he relies on the rhema, he can't be defeated. I mean, it's like, I, mean, I just think it's amazing. It's like Babe Ruth calling a shot. It's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the ball over there. Okay, here I go. Boom, home run. Jesus, yeah, uh, devil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stab you right now three times with the rhema. Are you ready for this? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Get out of here. Go. Gone. I just, Jesus is just so cool. Isn't Jesus cool? I just want to be like him, right? I, I, just, I just think it's awesome. How, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm pastor geeking out here, okay? Now, here's the thing. If, if the Logos incarnate, that's Jesus, Logos incarnate, general message incarnate, wielded the rhema, specific truth, against the devil, and he proclaimed to the devil that it's by the rhema that we live, I think it's probably a pretty big deal that we seek to do the same thing, Amen? Right? It's probably a pretty big deal. Now, now, here's the cool thing. This is the sword of the Spirit, which means it's not our sword. It's, it's his sword. And we don't wield the sword of the Spirit by our power. We wield the sword of the Spirit by the power that the Spirit gives us. How many of you are thankful that that's the case? Right? Can we all say amen to that? In fact, the grammatical construction of the phrase sword of the spirit could more literally be translated sword supplied by the spirit. That's the more literal grammatical translation of it. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is how we fight. We fight by the Spirit of God who will supply his sword to us. We don't fight this warfare by our strength. The Spirit of the Lord will give us the specific rhema we need to parry the attack of the enemy and to allow us to make that precision counterattack in the fight. I hope, I hope you've all experienced what I'm talking about here because it's those moments, like we've said, that build our faith. It's, it's those moments, talk, tell me if this ever happened to you. It's those moments when, when a specific verse is brought to your mind to answer a doubt that the enemy is trying to place there, either in your mind or in someone else's. And it's like, boom, oh yeah, got it, here you go. Right? The Spirit brings that up. Or it's a specific truth that manifests itself in the midst of lies and deceptions that are being spoken to you. Maybe someone's preaching. Maybe you're hearing a podcast. Maybe you're listening to one of these guys on, on Facebook or something who, who say all this stuff. And all of a sudden, from, from, from somewhere within, it's like, that's not right. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
That's, that's the spirit of God moving and he'll sell you. No, 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 this is truth. This is rhema. Turn that junk off. I hope that that's not ever happened here while you were sitting in these pews. Um, but it might because we're fallible people and if it does, then come and talk to us and tell me so I don't get smote. Maybe it's when the Spirit of God makes something just click for you. It's like, ah, oh, that's what that means. Oh, I never saw it that way before. Oh, that's so cool. And then you start to geek out like I just did, right? That's the Spirit of God illuminating that for us. I can't, tell you, I can't tell you how often that I've been in the middle of conversations or I'm in the middle of a counseling session or I'm facilitating a Bible study and someone says something and I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what to say right now. I'm a bad pastor, right? Happens all the time because I'm a bad pastor, right? And then all I do is say, Lord, Pretty much literally, that's a quote of my mind. That's exactly what I say. I say, Lord, okay, you gotta give me something here. And then he always does. He always does. Because I, I seek after that. And it might not always be exactly, precisely what it is, because sometimes the Lord's like, nope, you gotta look that one up and learn that one. Tell him. I don't know the answer to that one. I guess we'll look it up together. Because sometimes the Lord humbles us that way. And by God's grace, I'm learning that even when I think I do know the answer, to pause and still ask the same question, all right, Lord, is this, I think I got this, right? Okay, all right, good. Because sometimes the Lord says, yeah, that's the right answer, but they don't need to hear it from you. You stay silent. They need to learn this a different way. We have to learn to to wield the sword, and that just takes practice. Now here's, here's the catch to all this. Having our Bible, having our app, having, having a knowledge of the general message of things isn't enough in spiritual warfare. Isn't enough in, in growing in our faith. We need the rhema of God hidden in our hearts and minds. Now the spirit of God will help us to do this. His, his power fights the battle. He will, he will give us everything we need. But if we appeal to the Spirit of God without having done the hard work of sharpening the sword before battle, of, of making sure that it's in good condition and ready for combat, we'll go to reach for a weapon and it won't be there. And we will be open to those attacks. While the Spirit of God will provide the right weapon in the specific moment, it's our responsibility to make sure that he has lots of different weapons to choose from. Do we have any any people here who are good with their hands? Handyman type people? 
Yep, yep. I'm not. I'm pathetic. I'm pathetic at a lot of things, guys. It's just, it's just the truth. My wife is awesome, and I am not. <laughs> Absolutely, amen. Any do-it-yourselfers here? Right, yep. Not me. Any construction types, artists, painters? Yeah, not me. Anyone who does a bunch of yard work, like gardening, like growing food and pretty flowers and stuff? Not me. Any, any electricians, plumbers, roofers, musicians? Any tree trimmers here? Right? X, 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 X for me. But I can kind of preach a little bit. <laughs> Here's the point. Here's the point. We've got lots of people who can do many different things with their hands, other than me, but, but every single one of those things requires specific tools to do well, doesn't it? There, there's no tool that you can do every single one of those things with. As amazing as duct tape is, you can't use it for everything, right? I mean, we try, but I don't, I've never seen anyone paint with duct tape. Have you? There's probably some crazy YouTube video out there. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But we will become more effective in the work that we're doing and more proficient in that work the more we learn to use the specialized tools for that task, right? Wielding the rhema of God operates in the same way, and the only way to become more proficient with wielding the various different swords is, and this is it, it's just studying and learning and memorizing scripture. Read it, listen to it taught, meditate upon it, memorize it as a priority, and then talk about it. Practice wielding it. I hope that when you guys go home and you hear truth or when you're, when you're reading the Bible for yourself, like, talk about it with someone. Practice wielding the sword. Roman soldiers didn't just go into combat without ever having trained. They trained extensively with the sword so that they knew when the real thing came, boom, 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 I'm ready to go. Now, I know that right now, the enemy is attacking some of us. Right now, he's doing it. Right now, I know it. And he's saying things like, ah, I'm not good at memorizing. Ah, I don't really like to read. Ah, as hard as I try, I can never really memorize stuff. Well, I'm just here to tell you that I love you. But that is a load of malarkey. All right? It's an excuse. It's all it is. It's an excuse. I'm calling you out. Toss the lie aside and don't, don't fall into that. Luke 18, 27 says, what is impossible for man is possible for God. Do you believe that? Well, then that excuse coming into your mind is directly, it's, it's, it's in opposite to that truth. So let's, let's wield the rhema right now, huh? Pastor Tim always says, the more you mark up your Bible, the more that the Bible will mark you up. This is why I... I I can't get rid of my old Bible because I just got so many notes and highlights and underlines and circles and, and, and notes in the margins and things in there. 
And I hope that you guys do the same thing with your Bibles. If you use an app, great. I hope you take lots of notes and, and do your thing with that. I like the paper. I like to like turn it and like, eh, and I see it and it's all over the place and there it is, underlined, highlighted. But it takes effort, it takes work by the grace of God. Sometimes that means memorizing a passage word for word. Sometimes it means learning a parable or teaching. It might not be verbatim, but it's, but it's pretty close. Sometimes it means just, just learning where a verse in scripture is. How many times have you said, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says this. Learn where it is. Be intentional about that. Learn to pull that sword out with authority and confidence. Because the enemy, when I don't know where it is, and this, maybe this is just a lawyer in me, I can't help it, I'm sorry. But like, as a lawyer, when I know the law, and I can say that this site in this case, or this law in this state, I can pronounce that with authority because I know where it is. And the enemy, the enemy will try to undermine your confidence in the word of God by just, well, I think somewhere the Bible says this, Work at it, study it, learn it. Not that you can walk around saying, well, you know, this passage is this, and that passage is that, and, and here it says this. Oh, you don't know where that is? Let me tell you, it's actually, knowledge puffs up. That's what the Bible says, right? So we gotta be careful of our pride there. But study it, not for the sake of showing off, but for the sake of taking out the enemy. Right? Of parrying those blows and counterattacking. Start, here's, here's how you start. Let's get practical for a second. If this is something you struggle with, start with finding a verse that has specific meaning for you. Something that has always been a verse that's like, I just love that verse. And if you don't have one, just start reading the Bible wherever you pick somewhere, anywhere. Go to Proverbs, go to, go to the Gospels, go to one of the, go to Ephesians. Start at the beginning of Ephesians and read through. Maybe you want to read something here in Ephesians 6. Pick a verse. The Spirit will lead you there. I promise you. He will lead you to a verse that's like glowing on the pages. It's the way it works. It's like, oh, this is the verse, right? And then start working at it. Read it every day when you wake up and before you go to bed. Write it out. Listen to it on your phone. Start practice reciting it when you're driving around. Eventually, as you work at it, I guarantee you, you will memorize it. I guarantee you. Why? Because the Spirit of God will do it in you and through you as you obediently pursue that. That's how it works. Amen? And when you do memorize it, praise God immediately. Because one day you'll say, I know the verse. Praise you, Lord. And then look for the next one. Don't get lazy just because you know one. Great, kid. Good job. Go get another one, right? That's what we do. The key is that we seek out swords to add to the armory so that when the attack comes, the Holy Spirit can come along and bring to mind exactly what needs to be brought to bear in that moment to parry the attack of the enemy and then pierce him with the truth of our God and send him fleeing. And this brings us back to our golfers with all those clubs. How many of you know who Jordan Spieth is? Anyone, Jordan Spieth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like one of the best golfers playing right now. And apart from his tremendous talent, one of 
His great advantages is that Spieth has who is considered one of the best caddies out there. It's like the guy who carries the bag, right? And he's not great because he can just carry that bag great. He's great because the caddy is able to tell Spieth what club he should use in pretty much every situation. And he's great at, at estimating the distance to the hole, and he knows the lay of the land, and he, he knows the, the, the wind speed and direction and all of that stuff. Spieth was a mathematician before he was a caddy. That's why he's so good at it. Uh, the caddy, I don't know the caddy's name. It's not important. Like I said, I'm not very good at this, okay. Now, this was on full display earlier this year at the Masters. Spieth wanted to use one club. The caddy said, no, 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 use this club. And the camera caught all of it. They have, you can go on YouTube and search, and you'll, you'll find the caddy talks him out of it. He's like, yeah, yeah, use, use the hybrid. And this is a par five, like, and he's going to reach the green in two shots. And, of course, he reaches the green in two shots. He's like six feet away from getting an eagle, which apparently is a really good thing in golf. I, I've, I only know double bogeys. That's all I've ever done. All right? That's like the best I, right? So, so that was because of the caddy who told him which club to use. In 2017, you saw it on display again in the open which is one of the big golf tournaments, the caddy was able to predict to the exact yard what the distance was to the hole and told Spieth, hey, this is the club we need to use in this situation. And he nailed the shot and he went on to win that tournament. Spieth is an incredible golfer, but he's so good in large part because he has a darn good caddy. And praise God that we have the greatest caddy in the world carrying around our bag of swords, amen? The Holy Spirit knows exactly which sword to use in each moment. He knows exactly how to counter the blows of the enemy and speak a specific truth into the lies that will pierce the devil's schemes and make him flee. By the grace of God, Let's dig into the specific truth of Scripture, learning more, memorizing them, meditating upon them, so that we would have a bag full of sharp swords, ready for the war for that comes, having our faith built as we hear the Word of God, the Word of Christ, living at all times by the Word of our God, just like Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.